welcome back to episode 63 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Please welcome number 63, former Illawarra Hawks head coach, Australian Opals head coach and Australian Boomers assistant coach, Brendan Joyce. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Sporting Max. Well, today we're joined by former Illawarra Hawks head coach and Australian Opals head coach. He's currently uh, the head coach of the NBL1 team, Ballarat Miners. Brendan Joyce, welcome to the podcast. Brendan, uh, it's amazing to have you on. How are you going at the moment? Yeah, I'm great, thanks Max. It's great to be here. Um, oh, It's great to have you on, Brendan. So I'd like to start off with sort of growing up and what was that experience in your childhood like for you? Yeah, um, I think I had a happy childhood. I grew up in the inner suburbs of Melbourne, in the plush suburbs of the Collingwood Flats and Richmond Flats. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we moved out to Broadmeadows West. I went to school firstly at St. John's East Melbourne and then mm-hmm. primary school and then St. Dominic's. Um, it's quite famous for some other people that went there, such as Eddie Maguire. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, Eddie and his brother Frank, uh, mm-hmm. we were there going to school, primary school with kids and uh, secondary school, went to Brett Romano's West Technical School and, mm-hmm. um, you know, became an electrician. Uh, was doing that for eight years. During that time, playing in the NBL, decided mm-hmm. to go back to uni. So I went to Victoria Uni. But look, growing up uh, in the suburbs, to me, was a lot of fun. Obviously, high density of people, nothing's changed now. Yeah. Um, as we know, those areas... Uh, uh, have a lot of immigrants as they did back then. A lot of when I was growing up as a kid, there was a lot of Italians and Greeks, and, mm-hmm. you know, and and it seems like anybody who's new to Australia has to come through that area. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I had a family. You know, my mum and dad uh, both worked a couple of jobs. Big family I come from, mm-hmm. uh, seven kids, and uh, wow. so you know it was pretty competitive on the dinner table. Table lit outside. Mm-hmm. You know, when we went outside, obviously had three older brothers that used to belt me around a bit. So <laughs> I tried to take it out on one of my younger brothers. <laughs> so what sports did you like growing up? Yeah, as as most Melburnians, the, the first uh, sport that I was introduced to really was footy mm-hmm. at school. Um, we did have a basketball court at St. John's East Melbourne. We were very lucky. Basketball was quite popular and there's been some magnificent names come through basketball, the Cadee family. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they pretty much got me yeah. into basketball. Robbie, <laughs> Jason Cadee's dad, Robbie Cadee, mm-hmm. uh, Colin Cadee, who's no longer with us, who I regard as one of the greatest coaches I ever had. He was an assistant coach for mm-hmm. the Spectres and uh, in the NBL for a long period of time and assistant coach for um, the Westside Melbourne Saints. And he was a head coach. So I really enjoyed my basketball under him. But, you know, Teddy Graham, the, the there's names that probably our older people would know, Max, that mm-hmm. they all played for Australia, you know. Yeah. So Barry, <laughs> it's it's just, you know, Barry Barnes was from the area, not from the school, but uh, mm-hmm. I was pretty much introduced to basketball through school. A mate said to me, hey, you're pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Just mucking around the schoolyard. Why don't you come and play? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, yeah, okay. And I went home and told me, mum, we I was at, currently in the Richmond Flats and it was kind of, kind of funny because she said to me, you're already playing a bit of footy, school footy. Who's the mm-hmm. basketball team? And I said, oh, they're called the Presbyterian Wildcats. <laughs> and she said, you can't play for the Presbyterian Wildcats. I said, why is that? She said, you're a Catholic. Now, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm nine years old. I didn't have a clue yeah. what that meant. And religion don't mat- didn't matter to me then, doesn't matter to me now about what religion or where you come from. So 
anyway, it was just the name basically. But most mm-hmm. most teams, as you know, even the Melbourne Tigers were called Church Tigers. So mm-hmm. most of the teams revolved around uh, some type of um, church that were, were mm-hmm. playing at uh, you know Albert Park Stadium. So I started playing under twelves for a famous guy named Frankie Jones, who's Owen Ewan and Barry Barnes. They all played senior basketball. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, growing up, I was just exposed to those two things, footy and basketball, so, uh, and I love both. So I think you got an invitation to play for the North Melbourne Kangaroos, but then obviously sort of choosing basketball. Um, how did you make that decision? Yeah, really tough decision. Um, I didn't know at the time, though, how good I was at footy. I mean, I with basketball, I was making state teams and, mm-hmm. you know, under 16s and under 8s. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Back then, I think it was under late under 18s, early under 20s, as it is now, you pretty much had to make a decision. And um, Slug Jordan, I know, came to the game, scouted me. So there was various uh, people knocked on the door. Brunswick VFA as well. You know, there was, because I, I was out uh, the Broadmeadows Westway, I was associated with Brunswick. And uh, then I started to figure out, you know, it was all through school footy. And a team mm-hmm. called Jakarta Football Club, you know, so yeah. who I played with out there. So famous names, Brownlow Medal, yeah. medalist Scotty Wines, Western Bulldogs, Brucey Duell. Um, there's been some great football players come through that club. So had to make a decision. Um, Barry Barnes said to me, I was on the threshold of making the senior team and I'd, I'd had a few minutes here or there. The, the NBL didn't exist then. This is about mm-hmm. 19, so I'm just trying to think, <laughs> 1977, 78. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barry said, you know, I'm pretty close to the senior team. So had a lot of fun in junior basketball, um, playing every Friday night at Albert Park. So that sort of swayed me to, to go to mm-hmm. basketball instead of footy. Um, now, you were part of the Australian under-20s team um, in 1979. As a young guy coming into, you know, a professional basketball career, what did you learn from that experience um, playing in a national team? Yeah, it's... Um, it was mainly a youth league team under 23s and uh, I was captain of that team, but I was in the squads, Australian squads, but you know, it's just really about um, what you needed to do to try and get to the next level. Even jumping up from juniors to seniors. uh, I remember, you know, going to the first few practice sessions, although I trained with a senior team when I was 15, (laughs) you know, a lot of, a lot of parents don't let their kids train, but um, what my dad said to me, it'll do you good to get smacked around. (laughs) <laughs> that, that was the attitude of parents back then, you know, helping you grow up quick. They weren't as protective in respect. And they felt that if he was exposed to it early, it helped you mentally and physically. So, you know, these days we keep an open mind, but the experience um, was just more about, um, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make the jump uh, in respect to what it was from just even the NBL mm-hmm. to, you know, to the Australian national team. It's it just more professional environment, even though it wasn't fully professional back then. Um, the level of standard was high as it is today. Like, you know, people don't like to hear this, but the, um, you know, the Olympics, you, you'll just see it as players in the, that star in the NBL might not hardly play a minute. Yeah, exactly. Chris Golding in the Olympics, yeah. you see him now. He dominates the NBL for Melbourne United, but then he goes to play for the Boomers and he's not barely getting a minute. Yeah, so it's another two or three levels, but Chris can be still proud and I'm sure he is about making that team. So, yeah. Uh, it's just a whole different level of athleticism, size, you know, even involved with the national team. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stood out, which you're probably going to ask me, I'm get, probably jumping ahead, Max, but you <laughs> know, the, the different things that stand out is the athleticism and the length of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, so joining the Nullawatting Spectres in the NBL, 
Um, how did that opportunity arise for you? Yeah, coming through the junior program, I said, I said we were called a Presbyterian Wildcats, but along the way, uh, we joined a couple of teams. Uh, we were called the Bully Inspectors for a little while. We changed our names, thinking we were going to have a stadium. And then we joined Nana Whiting, I think, when I was about under 16. So, mm -hmm. um, so pretty much been a specter my whole life in, in regard to juniors. And it was just, you know, I guess part of the pathway when you, I played under uh, 20s for the Spectres under Barry Barnes, it was just part of the pathway um, mm -hmm. to transfer across to the senior team. You, we used to have two teams. I don't know if the boys have talked to this, Nigel and Andrew, but mm -hmm. before the NBL, there was the Victoria Basketball Association. That was the main league, or the VBA, yep. Yep. And, and this, you know, three teams had two teams. There was the St Kilda Saints, and I'm just trying to think of their, their, the name of their other team. Um, I think it was Altona or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other Melbourne Tigers had two teams. They so they were called Auburn and Melbourne Tigers. So we had two teams. We were called Nullarbor Inspectors and Box Hill, mm -hmm. and we were all in Division One because our depth and our of our kids and and the amount of players we had, we were able to have two players in uh, two teams in First Division. So a lot of us got a good grounding. Like I was playing for uh, in the VBA Senior Basketball mm -hmm. at sixteen, playing for <laughs> Box Hill, you know. And Andrew Gaze was the same. Uh, all of us came up through those second teams, so to speak, but we played Division One against the best players, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it was just an amazing experience to be able to give, be given that pathway. So by the mm -hmm. time we were 18 or 19, we were ready to play in the number one team. Uh -huh. um, so the 1981 NBL Grand Final, um, you guys just couldn't get it done in the end. Um, can you elaborate on this game or your memories and the experience of getting to that Grand Final, but you just can't get there um, to get the championship? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's one of the you, you just never forget losing a grand final. I guess the same is winning one, but everyone remembers mm -hmm. who won. Yeah, and, you know it, the experience getting there was tough. Like back then, it was a final four. We had mm -hmm. we had to play in Adelaide, and uh, I remember the Brisbane Bullets. They played uh, the Launceston Casino City on the Friday night, mm -hmm. and this was all in South Australia in Adelaide at the old Apollo Stadium. And the Spectres we had to play uh, the West Adelaide Bearcats on the Saturday night. Now. Obviously, Launceston Casino City, I think they had five Americans back then. You have <laughs> more imports. Um, they beat the Brisbane Bullets. Now, they played on the Friday night, and we played West Adelaide Bearcats on the Saturday. The grand final was on a Sunday. So, mm -hmm. obviously, the obvious advantage here is the Launceston Casino City had a day's break. Mm -hmm. And we had to front up, I think it was 12 o'clock. It was very rare that basketball was on TV. We were on live on ABC TV, I think it was back then. Um, so the family and all that was all key to watch it. But uh, I got memories of the semi-final. I remember we led most of the game. And, uh, you know, I was quite young still. What was it, 1981? So I was 20, 20 21. And I was starting mm -hmm. uh, with, we were had, when I look back, we had a pretty young group. So we did well. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember bringing the ball. I remember West Adelaide hitting the front, I think, with about a minute to go. We led the whole game. And anyone that knows Apollo Stadium in Adelaide, that, Mm -hmm. No, it's no different. The Adelaide supporters are fanatical. They're crazy. I remember just as the ball was thrown in, my ears, it was like they popped. <laughs> and, and I'm just saying to myself, just get the ball up. Just get the ball up. Get us mm -hmm. into offense. And we took the lead uh, again and ended up fouling. Won by a few points. We got to the grand final. Mm -hmm. Half time was about a point, the difference of, against Launceston Casino City. But we had no legs. They ran over the top of us. The other thing that um, I really believe, a, a guy named... Bill Palmer is quite famous in basketball. He was the 
CEO of the NBL eventually. He was mm-hmm. our import. He played against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, believe it or not. He brought out, <laughs> came out to Australia through Canberra. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to uh, Stanford. He was a great basketball player, but a great basketball mind. We lost him three, four weeks before that final series finished. So oh. our best player he snapped his Achilles. And uh, I'll never forget that. So we had to play the final series without him. So we're still very proud. We got to the grand final. Um, but very disappointed we lost. There's a story behind this, which I shared with my team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Illawarra Hawks or Wollongong Hawks before our grand final 23 years later. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, Max, after, the, after, after we lost the grand final, it was a pretty childish act by myself. Uh, Peter Stacker, not Ian Stacker, Peter Stacker, mm-hmm. his brother, uh, Alan Black, the three of us walked out of Apollo Stadium and uh, in disgust because we were so disappointed with ourselves through our run, run-up medals mm-hmm. out, to the back, out the back and somewhere out the back. It was very <laughs> funny. And I can tell you, and I tell this, told this story to my players, when you think about it, it was pretty silly to do, disrespectful. Um, but we thought we were going to win it the next year or the year after. And uh, with disappointment, we thought it wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. So about 1987, I'm playing in the NBL. We're playing at the Clipsal Powerhouse now. I think it was called mm-hmm. then, which is whatever it's called, the big stadium in Adelaide. Yep. I decided to jump in the car because I'd been <laughs> to the NBL finals, but I hadn't been to a grand final to go back and see if I could find me medal sticking mm-hmm. out of the ground. So, <laughs> But that never happened again. I never, never played another NBL grand final. So, um, you know, you brought up the grand final. So there's a memory after the mm-hmm. grand final that I never get. But I do share that with teams I coach that when they get that mm-hmm. opportunity to win something, um, to try and make the most of it. Um, just on the Australian team, like we mentioned before, um, now you were a Boomer squad member in 1981, 82, um, and 88. What did you think you get, got most um, out of your time with the Boomers? Yeah, well, again, playing and training against the best players, um, it just raises your level. It raises your IQ as a basketball mm-hmm. player. It, it's another level or two about, you know, training every day with your team. Yeah. Those camps were tremendous. Uh, mm-hmm. Back then, there was no, no concern about loading, really. Um, and if you mm-hmm. were the, you're on the fringe, and I was a fringe player. So uh, trying to make the teams, and I always got cut for World Championships and Olympics. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I was cut. So I know what it feels like to be cut. Um, but you know, it just helped you help you develop, mm-hmm. raise your standard of the game. And, you know, you got to know guys on other teams, which was good, which helped you recruit them for your team later on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, now they use the term brotherhood and it started back then, you know, you, you develop, start developing camaraderie, even though they're playing with other teams, mm-hmm. with other guys on teams. And I thought that was a pretty, pretty positive, but it's about raising the standard of your game to try and get to the next level. So when did you make the move um, to the West Side Melbourne Saints? And can you expand on how that came about? Yeah. Um, well, Colin Kadee, uh, or Barry Barnes, uh, he, he, uh, he was fired from the Spectres. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of us are pretty loyal as players. And, uh, and our assistant coach was gone as well, as I mentioned, Colin Kadee. So with those guys gone, um, it sort of left a void. It was really difficult. You felt like, hey, you know, back then mm-hmm. we were pretty loyal to players or coaches and I felt like I had to leave. If I look back now, I probably should have stayed. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's just something that you do at the time and thinking, trying to be loyal to people. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that was, that, that's what happened. And, and, you know, I think Colin, yeah, he became assistant coach of the Saints to Andy Blickers. So mm-hmm. uh, I moved with him, I guess, across to the West Side Melbourne Saints for a couple of years to play, play with them. 
Um, finishing off your career um, in Brisbane at the Bullets, um, what was that like? Yeah, no, that was fantastic. I, I was at the end of my career, and like a lot of players trying to chase that elusive championship, and, mm-hmm. and Brian Kerr, I'd known pretty well for a long time and played under him with Victor- the last Victorian team, believe it or not. His Gazy, myself, mm-hmm. his photo floating around, I think it was 1980. 80, uh, 81 or 82. That was the last Victorian senior state mm-hmm. team. So I got to know Brian. He got to know me. And obviously coaching against him, or sorry, playing against him, his teams, he wanted to recruit me to the Bullets as, I guess, a piece to the puzzle. So um, what was different about then going up to play Brisbane Bullets? They were playing in front of 15,000 people every week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we were playing at the Glass House. We probably, I think it was the maximum we could have is 5,000. <laughs> And, uh, and to be honest, Max, um, they offered me a two-year deal and I made probably more money in those two years than I did the other 11 years I played in the NBL. So <laughs> I, I really got paid. Most of us had jobs most of the time, but mm. it was just too good to knock back that opportunity and uh, really great experience. Made Again, it's not just about the basketball. To this day, I've got friendships because mm. I did work in the community. I set up a schools program uh, for the Bullets and a development program for kids. That was part of the contract back then. Um, so I had a really enjoyable time uh, with the boards. So how did what did you take out of your playing career that you could then develop into your sort of coaching career or coaching philosophies? Oh, heaps. Like, to be honest, I didn't know I was going to be a coach. I, I had mm-hmm. no idea. Um, I remember Barnsley and Colin saying to me, you're going to be a coach one day. That's Colin Goodie. And I think it was about 27, 28. And I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking, looking at them yeah. like most players going, you're kidding, aren't you? Because I knew what my teammates were like. I knew what I was like. You know, it, it's not, mm-hmm. you've got to manage not just one person. You've got to manage 12 people. Yeah. <laughs> so we've all got different personalities. And, uh, you know, I was a real competitive personality. And I don't know if I'd want to coach myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've seen many, obviously now, coach plenty of competitive uh uh, people so uh, I, you know, you've got to have that drive to make it but I took something from every coach whether it be good or bad about what to do not what to do and you talked about the national program you know I was exposed mm-hmm. to guys like Lindsay Gaze as a young kid mm-hmm. uh, who was a guru back then and uh, another great coach was Adrian Hurley you know he was I thought Adrian was ahead of his time in some respects so no surprise he had great success um, you know, being exposed to those guys, not from a club point of view, from a national point of view, you just take bits and pieces of everything, your upbringing, your family values, it all contributes, mm. I think, to what your philosophy is or what philosophy you develop as a coach. But certainly I, I got a lot out of playing under those coaches and, and your teammates with your players, you know, the import mm-hmm. you play with. Um, mm. You can see what makes players tick. I was captain of two of the NBL teams, so I had responsibility, uh, I guess, being an extension of the coach to assist the coach to really, you know, try and help the players play to their highest level and um, and play as well as they could. Um, so you bits like your captaining when you're captaining a team, like what's that like to be sort of one of the main guys in the team? Yeah, I, I, I as a player, obviously I took it very serious mm-hmm. and uh, and and try to do it with pride. When I look back, I've made mistakes like most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a very, I keep saying I was very competitive mm-hmm. and uh, I know your association with a lot of the Tigers guys, they would tell mm-hmm. you that. And uh, probably at times I had white line fever. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. at times I probably demanded more of my teammates, probably the wrong way, mm-hmm. uh, wrong way going about it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that improved, but I yeah. think initially 
I think I was probably, um, you know, it was probably that age, the way what we came through as well. The coaches were very demanding of us. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the coach said, uh, we would do. You know, we mm-hmm. realistically, without question, unless we thought it was absolutely crazy, but it was about respecting the coach. And these days, so pretty much if you, you was asked to run through a wall, you do it. These days, everybody asks mm-hmm. what's in the wall and what's on the other side <laughs> of it. But, you know, things have changed. Um, so beginning your coaching career at the Wollongong Hawks, how did you um, get that position? Yeah, well, I think I really obtained it back where I am home now at Ballarat. You know, I coached Ballarat for three years, coming out of playing, mm-hmm. finishing playing with the Bullets. Uh, had had a had a year playing in the local league up there, and then approached uh, or Ballarat approached us about interviewing for the job, and I got it. Mm-hmm. And the Hawks job really came about the success I had with the Ballarat Miners back then. It was called the CBA, uh, not NBL one, mm-hmm. and we won two championships out of three. So I actually had a choice, Max, pretty much of the Gold Coast Rollers or Geelong Supercats or mm-hmm. Illawarra Hawks. So had discussions <laughs> with, yeah, so I had discussions with all of them. And uh, so drove up to Illawarra, believe it or not, in the car, was interviewed by the board and uh, quite naive, obviously, as a young coach, didn't ask mm-hmm. a lot of questions. I should have asked them how much they spent on players, which <laughs> wasn't much. Uh, but I was just eager to coach in the NBL. But I had a wife and at that point in time, you know, I'm just trying to think how many kids we had. Uh, you know, we, we had uh, four kids, so um, very young, all under five. So uh, it was a big move. Uh, mm-hmm. But but as, as you know, it turned out I got the job and uh, and had it tough at the beginning, but had, you know, had major success. Mm-hmm. When you first came in um, at Illawarra, you know, you had guys like a young CJ Bruton and David Anderson. What were these guys like when they were young and what's it actually been like for you to watch their careers progress and them being successful? Yeah, I'll touch on them in a sec. But when I first got there, I had Glenn Savile and Matt Campbell, 19 years of age, didn't play a whole lot. And then the first year or two, we weren't winning many games. So a lot of the older players were near the end. So I decided to play those younger players. Mm-hmm. get time and you, you hear about that in the AFL to get games mm-hmm. into experience. Yeah. The, the danger of that is they make young <laughs> players make a lot of mistakes. They don't know how to win. And so there's teething problems. So um, we really struggled to win. And in all honesty, Max, in my just before my third year, I was told if we didn't make the finals, mm-hmm. I was going to be fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I coached the whole third year mm-hmm. uh, with half the salary cap. <laughs> Fortunately, Matty Campbell and Savile uh-huh. the third year really developed. And we had a couple of imports that were mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, and we, we made the playoffs winner by one point. Mm-hmm. in Canberra that's something you never forget and then my career was extended there was a change in mm-hmm. ownership and then we we're able to spend a bit more money now with that obviously we just made the playoffs so I like contracts being extended to three years mm-hmm. I could have been out after two years but we brought <laughs> in, there was a new owner like named John Carson he was a builder and uh, he took over the team and we just ran it a lot more professional now with that we had the opportunity to recruit we had a little bit more money I was able to create, and everyone saw the development with Matt Campbell and Savile. Mm-hmm. So we became really uh, a club, a go-to club for development. So mm-hmm. that's how I was able to get CJ Bruton for less money at the time. Mm-hmm. And David Anderson was an absolute beautiful pickup, but we actually didn't get him, Max. He actually went to, he chose Gorgian's team uh-huh. over mine, <laughs> Southeast Melbourne uh, Magic. But you, you, you'd know this in the record books, Mm-hmm. They they went broke, so they joined yeah. the North Melbourne Giants. <laughs> uh-huh. They joined the North Melbourne Giants, became 
Victoria Titans. So with that, the two teams, then Gorgian told Anderson he didn't have a spot for him. So wow. David Anderson's agent rang us and said, do you still want him? We said, of course we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up with David. So we had a really young crew, but you know what? That was an exciting group to coach. You know, mm-hmm. David as a 19-year-old, uh, I think CJ just come back from college at what, 23 or something like that. Savile and Campbell are still, I think, 21 years old. Mm-hmm. We're probably, you know, we'd re- it was just an exciting young team to be around. We we're very popular. Uh, but, and, yeah, and we had a great year. Look, we, mm-hmm. we made the top four. So it was all part of the stepping stone. But, you know, I lost David after one year. He got that massive contract mm-hmm. in Kinder Bologna in Europe. So um, we still had him. We actually had him contract for another year, but we just said, well, you can't hold him back. Mm-hmm. and make big money in Europe. So that was part of his European career. And then CJ we had for another year before he went on to one of the bigger money teams, which happens max it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1999, you won the first Coach of the Year award. What was that like to be recognised, you know, as the best coach in the league? Yeah, probably the best memory of that was my mum was there. Mm-hmm. Um, club invited my mum. She's no longer with me. I saw how proud she was. Mm-hmm. And it was just magnificent because it was at the Cram Casino. I, I'll never forget that night. Uh, and the other beautiful thing was I didn't win it on my own. I shared it with uh, Lindsay Gaze. Mm-hmm. So it's a great memory to have that moment to share one of the icons of basketball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's more about just sharing the experience uh, on the night with people that had helped you. I invited my old coach, uh, Colin D and different people. They were all there and they were all proud. But it was a matter of sharing it with the club. A pretty special night. And that, believe it or not, the MC was uh, Eddie Eddie Maguire. So that, <laughs> that made it special as well. Um, in 2001, just two years after you won that first Coach of the Year award, you coached the Hawks to their first NBL championship, um, beating the Townsville Crocodiles. Can you take me through that season um, from your point of view and winning that hard-earned championship? Yeah, it's, um, we started out, you know, our goal was always to get to the playoffs and we, we assess our goals along the way. And it was probably halfway through, we thought, you know what, we could go mm-hmm. close here because mm-hmm. we were beating good teams. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, uh, and the other thing is too, we were winning close games. I, I can't recall the exact number, but we may have won 11 or 12 games by less than uh-huh. six points. <laughs> I, I can't remember, maybe, maybe it's less than that, but I do know we won 11 or 12 games on the road. Our, home, our away record was better than our home record. Mm-hmm. And I think it was 12 out of 14 on the road and nine out of 14 at home. But I always said to the guys, one of the things um, that players had or, or was with the Illawarra Hawks or Wollongong Hawks we were called, I thought the mindset we had to change was the ability to win on the road. Mm-hmm. They had a reputation for winning at home with their crowd, but they couldn't win on the road. And I said, if we can beat teams like Adelaide and Perth, then yeah. we know you can win a championship. And at that time, Townsville was was tough mm-hmm. and um so my recollection during the season we beat all three of those teams mm-hmm. on their home court during the venue uh during the uh regular season and uh so by the time we got to the final finals you know the last game we had a hiccup we had some injuries we were second on the ladder we lost to townsville mm-hmm. and um they celebrated pretty heavily and we could hear them and they were ordering beers and i actually utilized that as motivation <laughs> <laughs> for when we had to play them again so celebrating our sta- in our stadium in the last regular season game. So I think that meant they moved to second or first and home court advantage, but we finished fourth. So then we had to go through Perth Wildcats. We had to go through Adelaide and, and then you uh-huh. know, win, it, win it in Townsville to get it done. But the regular season for me was just 
We could have been called the Cardiac Kids. I know that name was given to the Sydney Kings, mm -hmm. but we were great executing down the stretch in close games. And that's what stands out the most. And winning, winning not, you know, 12 out of 14 road games is massive. So what's that like when you get those championship moments and as a coach, when you finally get to hold up that trophy? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm just reflecting back on what we spoke about earlier when you asked me about the 1981 championship as a player. Mm -hmm. Um, we lost game two to Townsville by a big margin. I think it was 18 points on their home floor. Mm. Crowd's going crazy. You've got to go back there at four o'clock in the afternoon. Psychologically, there's a lot of doubt comes into mm. the players' minds and just the crowd, you know, is going to be even tougher to play against the next day, not just mm. the team. So I was thinking about how we, how we get them up. And uh, when I got back, we got back to the hotel, I knew a lot of the players were arguing, blaming each other, <laughs> different things. It does happen, you know, having cracks at each other. So that night we had a video and then a couple of them actually started on each other, having cracks at mm -hmm. each other about what happened. Mm -hmm. I said, so I had to really jump in and put an end to it and just <laughs> straight, do some straight talking about the opportunity that was at stake. Mm -hmm. So I talked to them about how, you know, it's, it's the Wollongong Hawks or the Illawarra Hawks had never won a championship. It was 23 years, but I talked mm. to them about my situation when I was um, a player, how I thought I was going to win multiple championships mm -hmm. with a talented team. We never did. And I'd been waiting 23 years or since 1981, my own 20 years to get another crack at it. <laughs> so, you know, there's, and, and it sort of drives you as a coach still to win that championship if you didn't win it as a player. Mm. And I talked to them about the opportunity within itself and what we need to focus on. I also asked them, I wrote them all a note telling them how good they were about what mm -hmm. they achieved during the year to try and get them to think positive. I know feedback later on was that they all took that to heart. And look, you can just, if you see any video footage at the beginning of the game and not that, mm -hmm. the guys were just really focused the third game. And um, it had its momentum swings, but I think a big part of it was just to get back to get together after losing game two, locking mm -hmm. together, locking what we needed to do to win game three. So in that year, um, you also once again won Coach of the Year Award. What does that award mean to you? Yeah, well, I only just remembered I won that Coach of the Year that year now from mm -hmm. you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard, it gets lost, I guess, the coaching award with mm -hmm. winning the championship because he actually given it the coaching award uh, before you actually play your yeah. final series. So I think it was that year. Uh, so, you know, the sort of memory gets lost because that's not mm -hmm. what we coach for. I mean, that's a benefit, that uh, bonus, that's a benefit. It's, it's something to be proud of. Um, but it was all about the championship. But when I look back, um, it was just a great year all around. So it wasn't just me, you know, mm -hmm. Axel Dench got rookie of the year. And as with a winning team, you get, you know, other players that get awards throughout the year. And, and that's mm. what's special as well. Um, throughout your career, you've had various um, events where you've been with the Australian Boomers as assistant coach, uh, you know, 2004 in Athens, 08 in Beijing, um, 06 FIBA World Championships, um, helping lead Australia to a Commonwealth Games World uh, Gold Medal in 2006 in Melbourne on home soil. What does representing your country, I know we've heard it from, I've heard it from like Chris Anstey, um, as a player, what it means to him to represent Australia. But what does it mean to you as a coach to represent Australia um, and represent your country? Oh, look, it's just something you just aspire to do. It's a dream. And, you know, as a little kid, when we're bouncing the ball in the backyard or you're kicking the footy in the backyard, 
you know, I, I used to call myself, uh, mm. even though I wasn't a Richmond supporter, uh, but I loved Royce Hart. And my mm. last name is Joyce. So I used to call myself Joyce <laughs> Hart. Picked up by Joyce Hart. Uh -huh. Picks it over here. Or Peter McKenna or, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a Collingwood supporter. So it's the same in basketball. I love Teddy Graham as a player. That's a name he played at the World Championships, I think, in 1970. A little mm. guy that I used to watch play. So you want to emulate, obviously, players that play before you. Alan Black, I looked up to. Uh, a few years older than me in my club. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you just want to represent your country. Now, if you, you know, I missed out on the major, major teams. Mm -hmm. So, and I became a coach and it was kind of funny how I became the Australian coach. I'll share this with you. And mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> obviously I'm having a bit of success as a coach and Phil Smythe loses, I think to New Zealand. So, Somehow, Brian, I don't know how he got appointed, but he ended up, Basketball Australia appointed him. Yeah. I think it was 2001 or 2002, Brian Gorgian. And we were enemies as players because he was a Tigers mm -hmm. uh, player and I was a Spectre, so to speak. And, you know, games, I used to try and beat the crap yeah. out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Which we did. We won the 1981 grand final, VBA grand final. The Spectres, we beat Brian's team, mm -hmm. uh, Al Westover. Aunt Gazy, he was a young kid. Um, but anyway... So I get this phone call, um, you know, 2001, and my wife goes, it's Brian Gorgian. And I'm thinking, what the hell are you be calling me for? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the enemy. <laughs> anyway, he proceeds to tell me he's going to be the national coach. I go, oh, congratulations. Good on you, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, then he says, oh, I'd like you to be an assistant coach. And I, Out of the blue. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I, and the phone went quiet. And I gave Brian, can I just ask, how come me? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say, I'll try to be Brian Gorgian. Hey, Chuck, mm -hmm. everybody that hates me hates you. So yeah. we'll work well together. <laughs> there was a few other words in there, which I won't put on because I know mm -hmm. you're <laughs> out there. So obviously, uh, you know, that was the beginning. And so I was Brian assistant for about eight years or seven years. I bet around about mm -hmm. eight years with the boomers. So um, so my loyalty was towards him and Australia and there's nothing mm -hmm. prouder than being a part of that. And Chris, obviously you said you interviewed Chris, uh, mm -hmm. he, was, he was a part of one of those teams, you know, at, at, at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Um, what was that gold medal experience? Like I'm in 2006 with the uh, Boomers. Yeah. Really special, really special. Mm -hmm. You know, it's called the John Kane arena now. And, you know, whatever the maximum was, there were no COVID rules back then. It was, I think it was only supposed to be 11,000, probably 15,000 people in there. <laughs> and uh, we won that by a couple of points over New Zealand, led mm -hmm. by Piero Cameron, who all-time great player I ended up coaching. So, mm. look, just an amazing, amazing experience. We didn't have some of our top players because, uh, you know, they were playing in Europe or the NBA. Mm -hmm. uh, but guys like CJ Bruton, mm -hmm. Jason Smith. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think Tony mm -hmm. Ronaldson, Sammy McKinnon. Mm. Uh, Brad Newley, you know, in yeah. it as a Rogers, still <laughs> uh -huh. great players, amazing, amazing mm. experience, and uh, something I'm sure the boys and we never forget. And, and you know, that's why they're aspiring to get that elusive Olympic medal. Um, in 2005, you were named as an NBL All Star coach this year. Can you expand on this year for you and that experience? Yeah, we um, coaching the Hawks. We were having a great year. I can't remember whether we were second or first or third. And uh, must have been second, I guess. And, you know, they decided to have an all-star game again. One of the most exciting things for me about that all-star game, I was really looking forward to coaching DMAC. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was Tigers. 
So with an all-star game, it's not as, yeah, it's not as, well, yeah. it's not as serious. So mm -hmm. it's more about trying to let the players enjoy it. But mm -hmm. that's my memory of it. And uh, I remember sitting down with DMAC, always loved to have a chat with a point guard, being a point guard myself saying, mm -hmm. oh, okay, mate. I know what we do well. What do you want us to run? <laughs> because we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. run it around you, <laughs> and because uh, you knew he was an unselfish player, mm -hmm. uh, one of the best passers in the game. Yeah, and uh, you know it's just it's really that was just more of a, a fun experience from um, a coaching well, point of view, from yeah. a playing point of view, from a playing point of view. When I was a part of the All Star Games in '88, I think in '89, we took it really serious, really yeah. serious, because the winner got paid. So we got paid money, and we weren't getting paid a lot of money to play back then. Mm -hmm. So if you go back, and I didn't play, much, I didn't play many minutes in an All Star game. I mean, I'm probably lucky to be there, mm -hmm. but everyone took it really serious because uh, you, you got paid money to win. Mm -hmm. um, I believe you were the inaugural coach for the Gold Coast Blaze um, for their first NBL season. How did that opportunity sort of arise or present itself? Yeah, no, they approached me uh, about coaching the team, and I went up there and was interviewed. Uh, uh, obviously, I'd finished up with um, uh, the Hawks, not the way I would have liked, but it's, that yeah. happened in coaching. So they got on the phone and approached me. So then we had some talks and uh, with the ownership group. who and, and one of the owners was actually one of the owners left the Hawks, uh, John Carson, the guy I spoke about mm -hmm. before. So I was really comfortable knowing him. And, you know, we'd had a lot of success at the Hawks for such a long time. Mm -hmm. That played a key role in going to, you know, for me, coaching the Gold Coast. And again, you know, looking back now at, at that experience, obviously it was only the two years, but for us to get in the playoffs in our first year, yeah, was, was, was awesome, absolute awesome. Um, you were then recognised in 2013 um, as the head coach of the Australian Opals, the women's national team, um, leading them to a bronze medal at the World Championships and coaching at the Olympics um, with the Opals. Can you expand on that venture and opportunity? Yeah, it's uh, that sort of another one that sort of came out of the blue and unexpected. Um, you know, they, the Opals were had a coaching change and you know, the door opened. They said they wanted to go through a, uh, a pretty in-depth process and they wanted mm -hmm. to open the door to anybody, whether you uh -huh. coach male or female. What people didn't know, I'd actually coached a lot of female teams, even though I was get, getting recognition of coaching senior men's teams because I've got three mm -hmm. daughters. Yeah. <laughs> I had to coach them <laughs> and, uh -huh. their, and their friends' teams. So... Uh, and I, but I coached some other women's teams in competition. So, um, but they wanted to open the door to try and obtain the best coach. I can tell you this, the um, interview process for uh, that they had for the Opals back then was probably one of the most in-depth in uh, interview processes I've ever wow. been through. Yeah. So it was an interview with a panel of six people, some really, really qualified people. Luke Longley, mm -hmm. I was just trying to think, Jan Sterling. Mm -hmm. you know, some people I, just, <laughs> I, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, but mm -hmm. anyway. There's about six people. Mm -hmm. And then you got through the first, you, you also, part of that job was not only coaching the Opals, you had to lead the women's program at the Centre of Excellence, which was the AIS. Mm -hmm. So you had to manage that program. So it was a fairly big job, right? In, and my mm -hmm. big thing was about aligning all the junior teams with the senior teams. So having the same style of play. So if I brought up an under-17s Australian player or an under-19s Australian player, they wouldn't feel anxious or anxiety. Mm -hmm. They'd slot straight in. But I also believed I had a philosophy of a strategy trying to beat the USA because they are the most powerful, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, the second interview was about developing culture within the team. And mm -hmm. again, how you go about creating the right culture and getting a group of people to work yeah. together. Because, you know, there was 
a bit of separation with the girls. I mean, like every team, not everybody loves each other. So it was about how you're going to try and pull them in to get together. At that mm-hmm. time too, you could see there was going to be a lot of retirements with the Opals. So it was going to be a yeah. tough time. You know, though, there was a generation of players being there for 10 years. They've been unbelievable competitors, mm-hmm. but you knew along the, throughout the process, there was going to be retirement. So how you were going yeah. to manage that was important and how you're going to try and maintain the success of the Opals because our Opals, I don't think, get the credit they deserve in, mm-hmm. you know, with consistently winning medals. Um, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a culture there of some legacy of success with some super players. Lauren Jackson, I only got yeah. <laughs> two games, but such a competitor. Now, I've coached some men, most competitive men. Lauren Jackson is probably the most, I only got to coach her two games. If we had her at the Worlds, we might have won gold. If we had her at the Olympics, we might I might. <laughs> You might have done it there, but, you know, we lost Lauren during that period because of injury, um, for their age and things like that. There were other players that retired, but that experience, so what happened was at the second interview, the third interview, it came down to myself and another guy, I believe, an American coach, and they decided to do a psychological evaluation. Uh-huh. So I thought I had no chance <laughs> <laughs> with the psychological evaluation. So, um, you know, mm. So I, 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 that went for about three hours on profiling and things like wow. that. Yeah. So it was very extensive and that's how mm-hmm. I got the job. Again, I've shared with the experience, you just touched on it, uh, winning the bronze medal in Turkey. We lost to the USA. Again, reflecting on the Hawks losing to Townsville. Mm-hmm. Now we got to the semifinal. Mm-hmm. We played the USA. And I, I don't know if you know Max or recall, but we lost this <laughs> about the week before the, the world oh, championship. No. She snapped her Achilles. Mm-hmm. So no one thought we were definitely going to medal at this point in time. Now we were in France. We're beating the USA. We're up on the USA in a uh-huh. tournament game. I think we're up by 12 and she snapped <laughs> her Achilles. Now we ended up losing that game. And then we went to Italy for three or four days to regroup. We brought in Gabriel Richards, who, who certainly wasn't um, uh, Lizzie, but she'd worked so hard, had success at uh, Benigo, was part of the Opal squads. Mm-hmm. So it was for chemistry, she was awesome. But as we know now, um, people wouldn't have predicted it. But, you know, we lost the mm. USA by 12, I think it was, at the World Championships. But the girls were devastated, you know, by, as we were winning mm. along the way in the World Championships, the expectations rose. And we wanted to win gold. So, <laughs> then, so the next day, we had to play Turkey in Turkey. Mm. And we're there, da- uh, you know, that's 20,000 people, you know, that's mm. going to be a game. Uh-huh. And, um, so as, as history, as we know now, uh, the girls mm-hmm. got up, we got, we got into the change room. They were mm-hmm. devastated after losing the US. It was tears. And I said, hey, we, we got another chance here to medal. So we got to get up. We've got to believe yeah. in ourselves. And we went through a process on how we're going to beat Turkey. And um, if you go, go and look at the first five minutes of that game, Max, it was 17-0. Our defense was <laughs> unbelievable. You know, we came out with that steely mindset. And we just jumped on Turkey and we just kept the foot on the throat and won by 30 and won the bronze medal. That's one of my proudest moments as a coach, mm-hmm. coaching those Opals, being a part of that, winning that bronze medal. You mentioned earlier having Lauren or coaching Lauren Jackson for a couple of games. But what's it like to work with an Australian basketball and world basketball legend like Lauren Jackson? Yeah, well, champions, those champion players like Lauren, there's, they have a persona. They're different, like a Shane Hill. You have mm-hmm. to be around them. You have to know them. They have so, so much self-beliefs and optimism in themselves. But then there's periods like anybody, they're human. And, and Lauren had some severe injuries after 
I think it was London Olympics and was having a doubt about coming mm -hmm. back. So I wanted her to come back because I knew she, if we had her healthy, um, she was going to do well for the style of play that I wanted, that big, yeah. big that could step out and shoot threes, um, post her up if she had a little smaller player. Mm -hmm. So she thought about giving mm -hmm. it away. So I actually went to uh, Albury <laughs> to see her. And um, she hadn't been doing anything. She'd tell you herself she was down and out of shape. But she did something amazing. I said, look, I'm going to come back. You tell me, I want you. we want you. You know, we want to get yeah. you back into the Opals uniform. So she goes, chocolates are... You know, I'm not in great shape. I said, well, let's build on it. So I'd, I'd pop down to Aubrey once a week. And mm -hmm. Max, she hadn't shot the ball. I think <laughs> it had been a year and a half or something oh, like that. Oh, wow. So I, we went into this little stable in Aubrey. No one around. Mm -hmm. And I use, do this drill. And I got it off Shane Hills. I call it seven and nine drill. So I do it. <laughs> so you go around five spots. You give you twos and threes. Mm -hmm. And you can't miss two in a row. If you miss two in a row, you've got to go back. <laughs> So you've got to imagine there's no shooting machine here. It's mm -hmm. just Lauren and I. So all I did, okay, Lauren, we're going to mm -hmm. shoot. Okay, Chop. All I did was stand, stand out of the net and catch the ball. And she just went <laughs> right yeah, She had no trouble making those seven and nine. It was all over. And I'm like, oh, we've got to get her back playing. Mm -hmm. So we worked on, and as you know, uh, we got her for the qualifiers 2013. There's the photo floating around. I'm proud to say she was the MVP. Um, and uh, we won the qualifiers to go to world. So we we're all excited. But then she mm. went to China and got injured in China and kept trying to come back. So I never got to coach her in those big major tournaments, but I did get, get to coach her at those two games. So just amazing athlete, uh, intense, demanded, mm. like most champions, demanded more of her teammates. Uh, took the pressure off you as a coach because she would be de demanded more from her players <laughs> to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, now, playing and coaching in more than over 400 games um, over your coaching and playing career, what's your best advice to anyone who wants to become a professional basketballer or coach um, and be successful like yourself? Never think you know it all. Mm -hmm. Always aspire to get better. Even though, mm -hmm. you know, I'm still coaching from mm -hmm. aspire to get better. Listen, take don't take everything that everybody gives you, but you have to find what, you know, go to clinics, be around... Uh, you know, travel and, and try and visit other teams to practice. You know, I've yeah. got a lot of friends in the NBA, uh, in not just the NBA, the Europe, all the different styles of basketball and try and apply what you think is going to help you be successful. Don't just, mm -hmm. you know, grab something because somebody else is doing it. You actually mm -hmm. has to have some purpose and you have to be able to utilize yeah. your personnel. So the two things for me, probably two things. One is um, always want to aspire to get better. If you think mm -hmm. you know it all, you're finished. <laughs> and, and the second thing is obviously try and take what's going to help your players play mm -hmm. to the best of their ability because it's not about us, it's about mm -hmm. them, it's about the players. Mm -hmm. um, now, coaching Ballarat Miners, um, currently head coach there. What's this season sort of so far been like for you and your time there? Yeah, we started off really tough. We had a lot of road trips early, so mm -hmm. we lost a few games early, and I've got a very, very young group. So this is different. Mm -hmm in respect to um, <laughs> no imports. We're all Australian because of the mm -hmm. COVID rules. Although some teams, most of the teams actually have got an import or two because mm -hmm. they stay here. We haven't. But I've got a, a lot of young guys aspiring to get in the NBL. So I know mm -hmm. what that's like having coached guys like with my experience in the past, Glenn Saville, Campbell, mm -hmm. you know, CJ, as you mentioned, David, at a very young mm -hmm. age. So what happens with younger players, it's a balancing act of trying to help them achieve what they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. with what the team wants to achieve. <laughs> they have their focus on where they want to go. 
Mm -hmm. So that 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 was tough, but we're all starting to, mm -hmm. to get it now. We've had some great results uh, and we're mm -hmm. moving up the ladder again. And, um, and I've probably got four or five kids that realistically could be on the end of the bench yeah. uh, in NBL teams. So, you know, that's exciting because it's not just about winning. It's about help, helping those kids go mm -hmm. where they want to go. Thanks, Brendan, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside um, an hour or so of your time to come and have a chat. Um, it's been an honour. No worries, Max. Um, thanks for having us and uh, wonderful questions. Uh, appreciate you having me. Thanks, Brendan. Best of luck for the rest of the NBL1 uh, season and um, speak soon. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Brendan. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Listening to this episode of Sporting Max, check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube. And be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne, and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.